Hey there, my name is Roy and I'm the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly and we're glad that you, today that you've chosen to join us for our online worship experience. And we're into part three of this four-part series called Four Cups. Now, the reason we named this series Four Cups is because we learned in week one that when the Jewish people celebrate Passover, this, this yearly celebration commemorating the rescue of the slavery of the ancient Israelites from the Egyptians, uh, during that celebration, there is a lot of food, there is a lot of prayer, and there are four cups of wine that represent four different promises from God. In the book of Exodus chapter 6, we find that the ancient Jews called these four promises the four I wills. Well, Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7 says, Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I will free you from your oppression. That is, I will in cup number one. I will free you from your oppression. This was called the cup of sanctification. This is when you make a decision to give your life to Jesus, to turn away from sin, to, to, to get to this place where God saves you. He frees you from your oppression. And then it goes on to say, and I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. And this is the second I will. The second cup is called the cup of deliverance. God says, I will rescue you from the slavery in Egypt. Again, it sounds like the same as the first I will. But God basically says, first I'm going to get you out of Egypt. And then I'm going to get the Egypt out of you. God saves you. Then he begins to transform you, helps you leave your past behind, and he restores your heart. And then he says, I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. This is where our focus is going to be today. This is the cup of redemption. After God saves you, he frees you from your past. He begins to show you that you were created on purpose for a purpose. And we'll go into detail a little bit more on that in a moment. Then God says, I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. And he begins to harness this, that purpose that, that, and uses that to impact those around you with the gifts that you've been given. He takes your purpose to accomplish his purpose. And ultimately you discover a life that is fulfilled to the glory of God. And so with these four cups in mind, we've been asking throughout this series a question. And that question is, is there more? Is there more? Is there more than the nine to five mundane? Is there more than just trying to accumulate as much things as you can get or as much wealth as you can get? Is there more? The answer is yes. God wants so much more for us. Coming to church for an hour or watching online for half an hour once a week is not supposed to be the extent of your spiritual life. God wants more for you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to be freed from the past regrets and mistakes that you've made. He wants you to discover your purpose and he wants you to use that gifting that he's given you to change the lives and eternities of others. And the best part is this. He wants that for you. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter who you are. As a church, that's really our mandate. Our goal, our mission, is to help you take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. So whether you're new to your faith or whether you've been following Jesus your whole life, we want to come alongside you and help you move from cup to cup 
to get closer to Jesus. And as I said before, most Christians will never get past the second cup. They will surrender their lives to Jesus, but they will spin their wheels looking in the rearview mirror of life at their past mistakes, and they will struggle to really understand God's grace. Most not, will not make it to the third cup where they truly see the life that God wants for them. Today we're looking at the third cup, the cup of redemption. And this word redeem, where redemption comes from, this word redeem is a word that you really just need, you need to understand. If you look it up, the meaning of the, of the word in the dictionary, you'll come up with three definitions, which I think all apply to what we're talking about today. The first definition is to buy back or repurchase. Now imagine this for a moment. Imagine that you have some piece of jewelry. It's a family heirloom, something that you hold on to dear. It doesn't matter how much it's worth because it's priceless to you. And then one night in the middle of the night, it's stolen out from under you. And years go by and you have not laid your eyes on this piece of jewelry. And then one day you walk into a pawn shop and there it is. And there's no way to prove that it once belonged to you because it's been years and it's probably passed through multiple hands, but it means so much to you. So you decide right there and then, even though you used to be the rightful owner of it, you are going to buy it back. This is the narrative of God. This is the story of God and his people. You were made in the image of God for God. You were made and created to be in relationship with him, but sin stole us away. Sin destroyed our relationship with God. But because of his incredible love for you, although sin stole you, he says, I love you so much, I want to repurchase you. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he repurchases you. The second definition of redeem is this. is to change for the better or reform. When you think of this analogy as us being clay. Have you ever made anything out of clay? When you make something out of clay, if everything doesn't go right or if it doesn't look well, even if it was just Play-Doh as a kid, you could always squash it back down and reform it, make it better than it was before. In redemption, God wants to take our life, and He wants to tear it down, and He wants to reform it into something new, something better. The last definition of redeem is repair or restore. I don't know about you, I don't know if you've ever tried restoring something. I'm not very handy. I don't know if I've ever made something better than it was before. I think I've always made things worse. But there are numerous people, they have this hobby where they, they take these old cars and they restore them. They take a car that looks like it would never, ever see the, the, the road again. And they envision what it could look like, envision what it once was, and they restore it and rebuild it. So not only does it run like new, it looks like new. This is the picture of redemption God has for us. To take us in all our brokenness and work out our issues and bring us to this place where we're made into something new, more, better than we ever imagined. Now let me ask you a question. Seems kind of random, but you ever sleepwalked? At one point in my teenage years, I was prone to sleepwalking. Scariest was one night I actually walked out of the house at the side door. My mom actually heard the, the side door open and found me outside on the driveway. But one night I sleepwalked into our laundry room. Pitch black, really dark. I don't even remember getting up. I don't remember going in there. But the problem was I woke up 
And when I woke up, I was standing in the middle of the laundry room. I did not know it was the laundry room. I had no idea where I was. I had no idea what time it was. I didn't know anything that was going on. And, and, and I'm feeling my way around, but I can't seem to get out because I'm stuck. And I can't figure out what's holding me back. It turns out I was just in the middle of the laundry room and an, an ironing board was holding me back. But it was scary because I didn't know how I got there or, or what was going on. I wonder how many of us find our, our lives in this situation. Where we just seem like we wake up one day and we don't know where we are or how we got there. We, we kind of feel stuck. You, you, don't, you don't just end up there. We always tend to drift there. We just wake up one day and we wonder, how did I get here? I feel stuck. Whether it's your finances, whether it's your relationships, whether it's your career, or maybe mostly whether it's your relationship with God. How did I get here? How do I get unstuck? Well, my hope today is that you come to this place where you're able to drink from the third cup. I mentioned earlier, most Christians will never get to this place, understand their purpose. Well, let's look back at Exodus chapter 6. In the third I will, God says, I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. God paints this, this picture of redemption with a powerful arm, or the NIV calls it an outstretched arm. King James Version calls it a stretched out arm. Well, the significance of this comes from this feeling of inferiority. See, many of us give off this aura like we're very confident, but underneath, if you look at our souls, when we compare ourselves to others and we just feel inferior. Like we walk around, our souls feel inferior. We feel small. And especially when it comes to our relationship or our thoughts on God. He's so mighty and he's so, and so big and we are just so inferior. How could he ever use me? But God sees a picture of you that is better than the one you see of yourself. King David in Psalm 18 makes this statement. As he's writing, he says, Your right hand sustains me. You stoop down to make me great. And God's like, I, I redeem you with an outstretched arm. He's so mighty, and yet he still chooses to stoop down, to reach down, because he sees you differently than you see you. Paul says it like this in Ephesians. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about yourself as being God's masterpiece? I mean, the artist of the universe, the sun, the moon, the stars, he says you are God's masterpiece. You are the height of his creation. This is how God sees you. Then he says that we were created new. We were re redeemed so that we can do the good things that he planned long ago. Yet we wonder, God, can you use me? Can you use me, God? And God says, use you. I have planned a purpose for you for your life long ago. I saved you. I want to free you and transform you. And I want to give you purpose. But for you to see that purpose, you need to, you need to see you the way I see you, my masterpiece. See, we need to stop thinking about what other people say or worrying about what other people think of us. We need to stop caring about how many likes we get on social media and believe what God says about us. The second thing that stops us from seeing our purpose 
is distraction. I talked a little bit about this last week, but we can be so distracted from what matters, from our purpose. See, in that verse in Exodus, God says, I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. Now, this judgment that he's talking about isn't judgment on you. It's judgment on the evil that holds you back. See, it's a reference that the Israelites would understand. In Exodus 3.20, God tells Moses when he unveils this rescue plan, he's going to send Moses to lead the people out of, out of Egypt. He says this, So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that, that I will perform among them. After that, he, meaning Pharaoh, will let you go. So when God says, I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment, he's talking about the plagues. These, these acts of judgment. This was the picture he laid out for Moses earlier. These great acts of judgment weren't on the Israelite people. It was acts on the enemy against God's people. See, distraction can be a work of the enemy. Distraction can keep your energy and your attention and your focus on things that seem worthy but matter less. Maybe it's striving for a new job or promotion or a raise. Maybe it's striving for that girl or that guy. And they they seem like good things. But often good things keep us from great things. And God wants great things for you. So whether it's a bad distraction or whether it's a good distraction, the distraction most Christians get tied up with is their past. See, it's like driving down the street and constantly staring in your rearview mirror. In fact, you're looking at your rearview mirror so much that you don't even look through your front windshield. And eventually, if you don't look through the front windshield where you're going, you will go off the road and wonder wonder how you got there in in a place that you were never supposed to be. See, your past is your past. You need to keep your eyes on the future. When you're driving, why do you occasionally look in your rearview mirror? Is it so that you can dwell on all the things that were behind you at one point? No, it's so it can inform your decisions moving forward. To assist you where you're going. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God can use all things, your good and your bad, but to affect the future, to affect others. Sometimes the greatest in ministering to the needs of others are those that have already come out of the pain, who've already been healed. That thing, that, that thing in your past, that painful thing that you don't like to think about, God can use that, use you according for his, to his purpose for you to help others receive the healing that you've already gained. God will use that stuff in your rearview mirror to help others according to his purpose. What you need to understand, I think, goes understated is you are unique. Your story is unique. Your experiences are unique. The way in which God has gifted you is unique. And when you combine these things all together, how God uses you, it won't be like anyone else. He has a specific purpose for you. And in each person, combine their story and their experiences Every person has a a set of spiritual gifts wired into the tapestry of who you are as a set of gifts and talents. Things that come naturally to you that might not come naturally to others. God gave you these natural gifts in order to do something that matters. Romans chapter 12 verse 6 says, 
in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. These are the things that come naturally to you that God, by his grace, has given you. And when you use those gifts to benefit God's kingdom and not your own kingdom, you are never more effective than that moment. Here's what I want to challenge you with today before I close. There are three steps that I believe that we all need to take. And if we'll take these steps and allow us to drink from this third cup, it can have profound impact on the people around you, on the people you rub shoulders with to the glory of God. Number one, I believe you need to discover your gift. I believe that God hardwired you with spiritual gifts, and this was before you were ever born. Look what David says in in Psalm 139, he says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. See, maybe, you, maybe you've convinced yourself that you don't have any spiritual gifts. Maybe you've written yourself off as less gifted. Or maybe you've been told that you're quirky. Or different, and it, it wasn't a compliment. I want to challenge you today to reframe the way you think about the way God made you. God uniquely knit you in your mother's womb on purpose for a purpose. He made you the way you are for a reason, your quirkiness and all. God wants to take all those things that you think disqualify you and use them to do something that truly matters. Look at David's words Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. See, God wants you to discover your gifts. And those gifts were given to you before you were even born. Now, on a very practical level, I want to help you discover your spiritual gifts. Last week, I was on a website and it asked me a series of 66 questions that required me to rank myself from one to five for each statement. And when it was done, it showed me uh, my, my top five spiritual gifts. And the website was called Gifts Test dot com and and if you go to that page you'll have a chance to there's there's it doesn't ask it asks you for your name and your email address but it doesn't ask you to sign up for anything it doesn't ask you to pay for anything it just gives you a little bit of a glimpse into these are what your spiritual gifts are it's important for us to understand and not shy away from how god wired us Before you were created, God had a design for you and a purpose, and it's ultimately that we discover what our gifts are. The second thing is this. Not just to know your gift, but to develop your gift. My challenge is is for you to discover your gift, but also to work on it. So many Christians fill their heads with information. They know stuff, but but spiritual maturity always comes from obedience, not knowledge. You can have the entire New Testament memorized, but you would never actually apply any of it. And what good is that? In the same way, you can do a spiritual gifts test, discover your gift, and never use them to accomplish anything of worth. Paul says in Ephesians 4, and this is my job description as a pastor. Ephesians 4, verse 7 says, However, he has given each of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ, which is is important. We've all been given different gifts. Maybe you wish you had someone else's gift, but he gave you your gift for a reason. You've been given that for a reason. And then it goes on to say, now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. 
The responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. That's what we want to do. Equip you, encourage you, give you opportunity to use your gift. But also understand, your gift isn't limited to what can be done in a church building from 1030 to 1145. It takes many people to run a service that we do on a Sunday morning, the kids program and our weekend worship service experience. But your gift needs to be unleashed the other six days of the week as well. Your ministry isn't confined inside the four walls. Your ministry, ministry begins in your school, your neighborhood. And you need to ask yourself, what are the needs that I'm uniquely designed to meet right now with the people that I have influence with? And then how can we help you? See, most Christians have never really truly discovered their purpose. What would it look like if you were one of the few that actually did? So you can live a life filled, fulfilled to the glory of God. So you need to discover your gift. You need to develop your gift. And then the third thing is, you need to use your gift. It's not enough to know. It's not enough to develop it. It's like a guitar, play and dis- guitar player discovering that they know how to play or they're good at playing guitar. And they spend hours upon hours just practicing in private, but then they never perform anywhere. They never use that gift. Don't be a Christian that knows why God made you, discovers God's purpose for your life, and then sits on your hands. You were made to make a difference. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter 4.10. God has given each of you a gift that has great variety, has given you each a gift that, from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Use them well for what? Use them well to impress others? Use them well for your own gain? No, use them well to serve one another. You want to do something of significance? Use the gifts he's given you for his purposes. See, we're a church that desires to worship. We love to sing. We worship with our generosity. One of the most generous churches I know. But we also worship God with the way that we serve others. You want to know your purpose? Your purpose is to use your gifts to serve God by serving others. What if you discovered your gifts? What if you worked on developing those gifts? And what if you used those gifts to serve others? It changes everything. Let's pray. God, I pray for the person that's listening today that believes they don't have a gift. I pray that they would understand the way in which you see them, that you love them incredibly much, and you designed them the way exactly what they were meant to be. You designed them a way, the way they were wired, the experiences they've had, are going to uniquely set them up to have influence and impact in the lives of others around them that no one else would be able to do. And so God, I, I pray that you would allow us to embrace our gifts and talents, that we would develop those gifts and talents, and then we would ultimately use them not for ourselves, but to impact the lives of others around us. Make an immediate impact on the people around us. God, I pray as, as we go into our week this week, we would look for opportunities that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus, and that we can be the answer to someone else's prayer. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.